This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Khanef. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Well, Jamal, we got a very, very busy day of news to cover today. There's a lot going on globally and in Palestine. I think it's important to note that we're at the one-year anniversary of the invasion and occupation of Ukraine. That actually relates to what we're going to talk about today in regards to Palestine, because in this last week or so, Palestine has been under siege yet again by the apartheid uh, state. Um, Its military forces have killed many Palestinians, injured quite a large number of others in Nablus and throughout Gaza and the West Bank. It's been a very, very bloody week. We're also marking the 29-year kind of commemoration of uh, Baruch Goldstein's murdering of 29 Palestinians and injuring 125, uh, one of the more brutal uh, uh, terrorist attacks on Palestinians by uh, a settler, a terrorist settler. We're going to note that. We're going to also talk about the really painful irony of the apartheid state joining the UN resolution calling for uh, Russia to withdraw from the occupied territories of Ukraine. How ironic is that? And then, of course, you know, in the midst of all this, uh, the apartheid state has approved the creation of 7,000 additional colonial illegal settlements in the West Bank. This is an outrageous affront uh, to all Palestinians. Uh, We're going to talk a bit about that. Anyways, lots to talk about. But before we get to that, Jamal, we're going to hear... From live on the ground, an interview that you did with Diana Butu, who's the former uh, legal representative to the Palestinian Liberation Organization's uh, uh, legal unit. And uh, we've interviewed Diana numbers of times over the years. She's going to give us up-to-date information about what's happening on the ground there. That's right, Jess. And this comes, of course... uh just, uh, I, I think, hours ago, um, the PA sent a security team to meet with an Israeli security team in Aqaba, Jordan. Uh, this is, uh, of course, sponsored. What a joke. Sponsored a joke. by the United States. And now we're seeing this happening on the ground while uh, Israel has uh, recently uh, murdered 11 Palestinians in Nablus. And, of course, uh, uh, armed, uh, wrestled uh, the Palestinians and the, their co-sponsors, the uh, United Arab Emirates, to withdraw an important resolution, basically, uh, you know, to <laughs> nothing, nothing new, to just say that uh, uh, illegal settlements are illegal. <laughs> yeah, not breaking news. No, not I mean, breaking it's news. really like reaffirming that illegal settlements are illegal. Are illegal. And, and, are illegal. And, uh, and exactly. And, and now uh, this resolution uh, has been watered down. And instead, we see the, uh, a meeting in, in Aqaba. Let's watch uh, my interview with Diana Butu. Israel's newest brand of a Netanyahu-led government is the most extreme, non-apologetically racist coalition whose members mince no words in defining their top priority. Finish the Nakba started in 1948 and rid Israel of Palestinians once and for all. Either by expelling or killing them, either is considered a viable, even laudable means to an end. 
an end that would deem all Palestinian land part of the sovereign Zionist state, Palestinians who remain should dare not complain. Meanwhile, on February 20th, succumbing to pressure from the United States that is that it was unhelpful, between quotes, the UAE, in agreement with the Palestinian Authority, dropped a resolution to call a vote in the United Nations Security Council regarding the illegality of Israel's settlement expansions. This was followed by a summit between top Israeli and Palestinian officials held in Aqaba, Jordan, under the auspices of the United States. Joining us this week on Arab Talk to discuss this and more is Diana Butu. Diana Butu is a Palestinian-Canadian lawyer and former spokesperson for the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Welcome again to Arab Talk, Diana. Thank you, Jamal. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Let me begin by the most recent news. A week ago, the UAE, in concert with the PA, decided to go to not go forward with a vote by uh, the United Nations Security Council regarding the illegality of Israeli settlements. Instead, we now see Palestinians and Israelis corralled into a meeting in Aqaba to discuss security. Some Palestinians have described this summit as a treasonous and that it undermines Palestinian resistance how many times is the PA going to be duped by empty concessions by Israel? I think is uh, more than there are hairs on my head at this point. Um, you know, it's it's the same formula that we've seen time and again, which is that they don't want to embarrass the United States, meaning that they don't want to push the United States into a position where they show that they are Israel's greatest ally. Um, greatest supporter, greatest cheerleader, big supporter of ethnic cleansing. And uh, and so they instantly back down and it doesn't take very much. Yeah, you know, we've heard everything from them getting sweeteners like uh, being able to get 4G um, to other sweeteners such as economic uh, incentives. But all of this, Jamal, we've been there, done that. They were talking about 4G back in the first term of Obama. Um, and so the fact that they're still talking about this just shows you how bankrupt the Palestinian Authority is, and they just keep getting duped time and again. Various news reports indicated that U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken had negotiated a background understanding to secure the withdrawal of the UAE draft resolution and the substitution of the much tamer presidential statement. The Israeli government will report, reportedly be permitted to move forward with many of its currently proposed new housing units and the legitimization of most of the uh, designated settlement outposts, but would pause for a minimum of three months. Uh, this is my understanding before proceeding with this settlement expansion. So what did the Palestinians uh, gain out of this? Zero. And in fact, the only thing that they gained was that they look even more ridiculous than they have looked over the course of the past 15 years. Look, I, and I think it's important, Jamal, to keep in mind, the number of settlements that has gone up during the Biden administration is actually more than went up during the Trump administration. The, the housing units that they're talking about are not going to be paused. They're not going to be stopped. 
this is not a government that is going to take Biden into consideration. It's a government that laughs at Biden and thinks that Biden is a joke because effectively he is a joke. So they're going to go full steam ahead. And when they talk about legalizing outposts, you know, it's, this is a, a phraseology that the, that the Israelis use because it makes it sound tamer. What we're talking about is the establishment of brand new settlements. And so we've seen just since the, in the seven weeks, in the eight weeks, excuse me, since this government has been in place that there have been uh, more than 20,000 new settlement housing units that they've announced, the legalization of nine new um, settlements, the establishment of nine new settlements. Israel has killed more than 60 Palestinians just in these eight weeks. Two very deadly uh, massacres, uh, raids and massacres, one in Jenin and one in one in Nablus. And there is no end in sight. And so the idea that the Palestinian Authority is gaining anything is is a joke. And they know that they have nothing to gain. What they should instead be doing is standing up very definitively and be talking about uh, protecting us. When you When you look around the world, every country around the world has somebody protecting them. We're the only people around the world who has nobody protecting us. And not only that, we have a government that is going against us. Our very government is going against us. So they've gained nothing from the from uh, this agreement. They'll continue to gain nothing from this agreement. The only thing that it gives is legitimacy to, to Abu Mazen, not legitimacy in our eyes as Palestinians, but legitimacy in the eyes of the Americans, in the eyes of the Europeans, and most particularly in the eyes of the Israelis. And that's all that matters to him. So, I mean, back to, to, to the Aqaba summit, I, I haven't seen a press release about the outcome. I, all that I know is that uh, they just finished it and uh, it was about security because we know who went there, representatives, uh, Majid Faraj is uh, from the PS security and also on the Israeli, on the Israeli side. So uh, Israel continues to kill Palestinians as we've seen in Nablus in Jenin and, and elsewhere. And then you have the newest extremist members of the Knesset keep swinging head towards them. How will Abu Mazen or the PA keep selling this to the Palestinians? I mean, I, I at the same time, I see like another press release I was sent from a group in Palestine saying that this is treasonous and this is unacceptable. It is. But, but the status quo, the status quo continues. It is. It is. Un, it is treason, and it, and it is unacceptable. And the status quo does continue, because Jamal, at the end of the day, um, you have to put yourselves in the shoes of somebody who is living here. If you dare to do anything, then then the PA will crack down on you and crack down very heavily. We saw what they did with Nizar Banat, and it's not just Nizar Banat. It's all of the measures that they've enacted against Palestinians to to take away their livelihoods, to take away their ability to lead a normal life, to throw them in prison. Um, the PA continues to do this because in their minds, their only route to legitimacy is through whether when Israel says that they're legitimate. Uh, their only route to legitimacy is through security. So they know that they're not gonna attain legitimacy in our eyes because legitimacy requires behaving in a different way, defending us. It requires behaving in a different way, resisting, and it requires uh, elect elections, all of which they're not they're not willing to do. So they keep doing this. Now the question becomes: Why is it the Palestinians aren't resisting against the PA? 
for a number of reasons, but primarily because the because the issue is is who do you go against? Do you go against your your oppressor being Israel or the subcontractor of the oppressor being being the Palestinian Authority? And there's just far too many fires that we have to put out on a on a daily basis. And again, with nobody but nobody here to protect us. So I just saw in Israeli media that uh, the minister of of, uh, of finance, Bezalel Smotrich, said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that uh, he promises that not a single uh, settlement or building of a new step settlement will will stop. I mean, that's that's the right. quick the quick response that he said. Give us uh, the CV of the most prominent players in Netanyahu's coalition, for example. The Minister of National Security Etamar Ben Gvir and 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 the Minister of Finance Bezalel uh, Smotrich. So let me start with uh, Ben Gvir because he's the easiest uh, to describe. You know, Ben Gvir is a clown. Um, he's a clown who who believes in ethnic cleansing and who does everything from race baiting to carrying a gun to you name it. For example, uh, during the election campaign. His big election slogan was, we have to show the Palestinians that we are the masters of the house. Now, by logic, if there's a master, then there's a slave. And and that has always been his line. It's the same line that Rabbi Meir Kahane, and, uh, a racist, a fascist, believed in, who often talked about having non-Jews as slaves to to the Jews. And this is his same, the same logic is that um, that those who are who who are not Jewish should be should be slaves, and those who are Jewish are the are the supremacists. Um, the other thing that he's done is he's pulled out guns at people. One time there was a parking attendant who asked him to park his car in a certain spot. He pulled out his gun at him. He's a guy who has talked about who has praised Baruch Goldstein, Baruch Goldstein, who twenty nine years ago this weekend massacred 29 Palestinians as they were praying at the Ibrahimi Mosque in uh, in Hebron and Khalil at, during Ramadan. As they were praying, he came into the mosque and shot them in the back, killing 29. It is, it is Baruch Goldstein, the reason that, that, Baruch Goldstein is the reason that we now have all of that division within the Ibrahimi Mosque because of Baruch Goldstein. He massacred us and we paid the price not only with our lives, but but uh, they divided the mosque as well. Itamar Ben-Gvir has, has said that this man is his hero. He dressed up for him as, uh, as a, for Purim, uh, a, a Jewish holiday. And uh, he's, he often talks about Meir Kahane. He's a disciple of him. He's so extreme that he was convicted of inciting to terrorism. Now get this, I mean, you know a lot about this country and how crazy it is. To get an actual conviction means you have to be a super crazy, and he is. He's a crazy clown, but he's a crazy clown who who's now in a position of power. The police themselves blamed Benny Kavir for uh, for the May twenty twenty one uprising, and and he's somebody who often talks about. He's part of the Temple Mount faithful, meaning it's the group that wants to get rid of the Al Aqsa Mosque compound. And build instead the third temple. That's who Edmar Benikvir is. The more dangerous one, though, um, Jamal, is Smotrich. Now, Smotrich, the reason he's the more dangerous is he is currently Minister of Finance, but he's also been put in charge of 
um, a new file, which they call construction in the West Bank. And being put in charge of construction in the West Bank, it means construction for Israelis, destruction for Palestinians. And um, Smotrich is a, is a man who was one of the founding members of, a, of an NGO that's titled Regavim. Regavim was an NGO, is an NGO, that goes after Palestinians and demands that Israel demolish, destroy the, the homes of Palestinians. It is Regavim that has been behind the case in, in uh, Khan al-Ahmar. They're the ones who've been pushing the state to destroy the entire community. They're the ones who are behind the, the, um, the demand to destroy Musaffar Yatta. So this is a man who founded this organization, an organization that's, that's ideology is to destroy Palestinian homes, to ethnically cleanse. And he's now not only in charge of that, but also the flip side, which is construction. He talks very openly about annexing the West Bank. He says there should be eternal construction in the West Bank. Um, so you've effectively put the fox, in both cases, you put the foxes in charge of the hen house. One thing that I should say about Smotrich as well, some quotes. One thing is when his wife um, at one point was giving birth, he he said it was it would be natural for his wife not to want to be in a in a hospital room next to an Arab woman. Um, and he's also yeah, if you can believe it. And he's also said he's also him, de described himself as a fascist homophobe. Again, those are his words, not mine. A fascist homophobe. And so when you look at the sum total of this of this government, just those two individuals with Netanyahu, you ask yourself, why is it that the United States is still working with these? Can you imagine if this had been in any other place, in any other uh, country around the world? The US would be denouncing these people and, and distancing themselves. But in this case, they embrace, um, they meet them, and they continue to give a turn a blind eye to everything that they do. In fact, in the past, I think, two weeks, we had uh, at least three congressional delegations visit uh, in, in Israel, including the uh, uh, Senate minority leader uh, who sure. went there. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk about the recently passed revocation law that would strip disloyal, that's between quotes, Israeli Palestinians of their citizenship and expel them, in effect, render them stateless. You know, yes. disloyal, yeah. the cause for being stripped of one citizenship is a very fluid, handy term if you want to dispossess Palestinians. Isn't that so? It's illegal. Um, I'll give you the, the background to it, Shaman, uh, and you could see how Israel works incrementally. And when we talk about the incrementalism, um, people ignore us, but it's important if you understand Israel to understand the incremental nature so that you can see the big picture. So in 2009, the then foreign minister, a man named Avigdor Lieberman, was the first person who pushed for the idea of revoking the citizenship of Palestinians who hold Israeli citizenship. Now, again, for your listeners, and I know that they know this, but just to, it bears repeating, Israel came to us. We didn't come to Israel. We didn't immigrate to Israel. It's the other way around. They came, they stole our land, they dispossessed us, they destroyed our communities, um, ethnically cleansed. And out of it, all that Palestinians have 
is Israeli citizenship, and there there's only two million, which amounts to about twenty percent of the population. And uh, and so, two thousand nine, Avigdor Lieberman, a man who is a settler, talked about um, chopping off the heads of Palestinians who hold Israeli citizenship, and uh, pu- and pushed this idea of transfer. His idea was that you either Palestinians either had to declare their loyalty to the state or they would be transferred to the West Bank. Um, but in his model of transfer, it was that the boundaries would be redrawn. So in Al-Fahim, all of the triangle would be part, you know, sent to the West Bank. The, the boundaries would be re- redrawn. His ideas at the time were considered so repugnant and so offensive that Europe did this, you know, a lot of hand wringing and said, oh, we should, we're not going to deal with him. We're not going to deal with him. But sure enough, they did. And by the end of the year that that uh, Avigdor Lieberman was a foreign minister, again, a settler, they were not only dealing with him, but they had upgraded ties with uh, with Israel. Um, fast forward a few, la- few years later after that, the Israelis then passed a law saying that they could revoke the citizenship of disloyal Palestinians and those who hold um, permanent residency. Again, the permanent residents didn't come to Israel. Israel came to them, and meaning being those from Jerusalem. And again, it was the same idea that that um, they will be have their, their citizenship or their residency revoked, but they'd be allowed to stay in their homes, in their places, and they would be given a, uh, a sort of... Um, a permanent residency that couldn't be revoked. Okay, so they so citizens citizens could have their their citizenship revoked, but they would be given permanent residency and they'd be allowed to live in in their homes. Now they've taken it one step further, uh, and the one step further is that this time they are they've passed this law revoking the citizenship of Palestinians who they claim to be disloyal, and there's no real definition of what disloyal means, um, except is to say that if they accepted some money from the Palestinian Authority, which all political prisoners receive money from the Palestinian Authority because they pay for uh, for the canteen. Israel doesn't provide for political prisoners in the way that it should. It's totally remiss in its, in its responsibilities and duties. And the Palestinian Authority tops up effectively paying um, for what Israel should be paying for. And, uh, and so now the, the step further is that they're not only going to revoke the citizenship, but ethnically cleanse them, send them to the West Bank or Gaza. Again, not clear. It says both in the law. The next step that's coming, Jamal, is that it's not just going to be for the political prisoners themselves, but their families. That's already something that they are talking about. And mark my words, that is going to be the next step in all of this. And because it's so incremental, because it happens in stages, people look away and they pretend as though it's not happening. But those of us who live here on the ground know exactly what Israel is aiming to do, which is the slow ethnic cleansing process. They talk about it all the time. Smotrich himself said that the only reason that Palestinians are still here is by accident and because... Um, because Ben-Gurion didn't finish the job in 1948. And another time he said, you're here for now, temporarily. Didn't the Israeli Supreme Court had uh, previously acknowledged that the existing uh, revocation law uh, contradicts uh, international law? 
Absolutely. And they know that. these It, it is a violation of international law. And they know that, which is why instead they gave this, um, you know, this temporary, like this permanent residency status. But now, get this. So now, Jamal, even if with the new uh, changes that are proposed in the judiciary that the Netanyahu is pushing forward, which is why we see all these protests happening here, what's going to happen is that even if you get a Supreme Court decision um, saying this, and I'd be surprised if they say it because this is a right-wing settler court, even if they say it, with these new changes, the government has the ability to override any Supreme Court decision with a simple majority, 61 out of 120 votes. Uh, you mentioned, the, the, of course, uh, what Netanyahu is trying to do and uh, one thing we do see a lot uh, of uh, in the newspapers and on TV here that uh, that are a lot of uh, Jewish Israelis up in arms, uh, protesting, lamenting the transformation of Israel into a fascist state. Is there any solidarity with Palestinians in this uh, political so-called awakening? No. It's always been a fascist state. They just haven't been awake um, for all of these years. And that's the big problem is that you just see these random signs saying democracy, democracy, democracy. Um, but they don't understand that you can't have a democracy when you're denying freedom to millions of, of people. You can't have democracy when you have a two-tiered legal system. You can't have democracy when you have laws that are uh, that privilege one segment of society and disadvantage another, which is what is the case for Palestinians who hold Israeli citizenship. There, There's no solidarity with Palestinians whatsoever. In fact, when the massacre in Nablus happened, um, when Israel was massacring, when they massacred Palestinians in Nablus just last week, I didn't see these same individuals coming out and protesting and saying, democracy. Uh, instead, they stay silent because what they're afraid of is is that this is going to affect them. The changes will affect them. And mark my words, Jamal, it won't. That's what it means to live in a society that, a supremacist society, is that those who are in the privileged class never pay the price. It's those that are the targets, uh, meaning those who are not in the privileged class that will pay the price. So all of this has been um, quite laughable, I, I must say. And, and actually, Jamal, it's not just quite laughable, it's it's actually violent um, when you when you go out and you see the sea of of Israeli flags that, uh, and people stopping uh, cars in the middle of the street. This is the flag of our oppression. This is the flag of our dispossession. And to make matters worse, many of them are calling on us to be joining these protests. As that was going to be my next question. Oh, how does I mean, how does this? Uh, so with uh, Palestinians with Israeli citizenship. It's offensive, Shaman. It's offensive. Can you imagine me, the, the, the daughter of Nakba survivors, rallying behind the Israeli flag? How offensive, how repugnant, how disgusting is that? And, and that's, um, that's where they have their head in the sand. This, these are not protests for Palestinians. These are not po uh, protests to, to push for for liberation. This is all a situation where they want to take us back to November of 2022 and somehow just pretend that it was a magical world back then. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to be part of it. I'm not going to be part of it. And, and nor is any other Palestinian.
So what's the end game for those who demonstrate, and what's the end game for the Netanyahu government? I mean, is that going to make even a difference or more even make changes as they are uh, demanding? No, 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 no. This is a this is a coalition that's solid. Um, it's a coalition that's solid. It's managed to, and and no matter how it's it's not only solid, but Jamal, I think it's important when we talk about what this coalition is about to look at the broader spectrum of what the Knesset is about. There's 120 seats in the Knesset. 110 of those seats are occupied by people that don't believe in rights for Palestinians. 110 out of 120. So it may be that they don't like Netanyahu, but I can guarantee you that when it comes to the issue of Palestinians, they hate us more. So even um, even the, the, the alternative, the opposition, which is a, a political party that's led by Yair Lapid, it's called Yashatid, there is a future. Even if you saw the brochures that they were putting out this weekend, the posts they were putting up this weekend, they, were, they put up a post on Facebook of where all of the protests are taking place. And of course, Jamal, you know what's included in the in that map of where of of um of where the protests are taking place? What's not included is the green line. What is included is the settlements. So these are people who um who will do anything to make sure that that they can continue to steal Palestinian land. And it doesn't matter if they're part of the existing coalition or in the so-called opposition, 110 out of 120 don't believe in Palestinian rights. They don't believe in Palestinian liberation. They actively support the settlements. They actively support apartheid. There's only 10 that don't. And those are 10 that are from that are that are Palestinian. That five from the from the uh, former joint list and five of them from the uh, from the um, Islamic movement of the north uh, of the south. That's it. Um so where this is all heading is they've just passed the budget. Israel's just passed, this government has just passed the budget. There will be very little that's going to be able to stand in their way. The judicial um, uh, proposals are moving ahead, full steam ahead. And although the Americans are making the occasional comment, they're going to continue full steam ahead. And these protests are going to do absolutely nothing. Eventually, they will run out of steam as they did in 2011 and in 2012. And we're just going to see Netanyahu write it out um, for forever until we have another election. The biggest loser in all of this is always Palestinians because we were, oh, we will continue to be in the crosshairs of this government. I know how, pal how Palestinian Americans few, uh, view the uh, policy of the United States, uh, but how do Palestinians on the ground see it when, when they see the Anthony Blinken, the United States, or uh, President Biden travel to Ukraine and talk about uh, freedom and talk about uh, existing occupation and 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 uh, vote resolutions or uh, or statements but, uh, at the United Nations Security Council condemning Russia for its occupation, which by the way Israel also voted to condemn the Russian occupation of Ukraine, and then they come meaning. Anthony Blinken or sending his uh, representatives uh, to talk about uh, justice for Palestinians. Look, we've gotten used to the double standard and it's it's uh, 
it's it's frustrating but laughable. Um, and the the statement that I hear the most is, "Wow, this is the superpower. This is the superpower, and it can't stand up to Israel." You know, it's become laughable just how uh, how much how weak the U.S. looks in the eyes of Palestinians when they can't even rein in their biggest ally. Again, this is not that Israel doesn't give anything to to the U.S. This isn't like they're they're supplying something to the U.S. It's the other way around, and it's laughable when you see that that the U.S. can't even rein in its own ally that it's its own recipient of money. It's like you know its own charity case. They can't raise it, rein it in, and uh, and instead. Um, use this double speak when it comes to Ukraine. I mean, it's it's laughable. And I think most people have gotten to the point now where they pity the United States. Are you at all encouraged by the International Court of uh, Justice's agreement to issue an, an opinion on Israel's decades-long uh, occupation of Palestine later this year? It's symbolic, but could it be significant uh, building block towards uh, something bigger? Jamal, you know, it's hard to say. I, I was part of the team that did the first ICJ decision, which was in 2004, and regarding the wall. And uh, and there was definitely well, there was definitely a lot of happiness surrounding it. But we know that our legal case is strong, and and that there's not going to be a legal knockout. Instead, it's a question of what the whether that legal action is going to translate into something political and. We saw with the wall decision that it didn't. We saw that they ignored the decision regarding the wall, um, they being Israel and the international community. And I worry that the same thing is going to happen here too. I'm glad it's happening. It's important. Um, we know what the outcome is going to be and, 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 and get it. But I don't know if it's going to take us, like, I don't know if it's going to lead to anything beyond that other than simply an ICJ decision. And that's because, uh, Jamal, the international legal system is flawed. There is no, um, there is no like executive power. There is no, you know, police force. There's none of that in place. And so it's just going to be a decision like other decisions. But again, it's important. I, I do think it's important. It's just a question of whether it's going to translate into something. Diana Butu, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. It's always a pleasure, Jamal. I like, love chatting with you. That's the voice in the face of Diana Butu, uh, on the ground, reporting from what's happening in Palestine, Jamal. Um, it's, it's actually so disturbing and sickening to kind of understand this kind of juxtaposition of the the kind of weakness of the Palestinian leadership, specifically Abu Mazen, Mahmoud Abbas, and his capitulation to apartheid forces and capitulation to U.S. strong arming. At the same time, with a dish, so many Palestinians being killed and injured and the siege in the West Bank and in Gaza, um, and then being forced to the table, uh, you know, in Aqaba right now, the the lack of any kind of strong leadership coming from the Palestinian side in the face of 7,000 settlements that have been approved by so many murder, you know, uh, a murderous rampage by the Israeli military in the West Bank. Um, it's hard to kind of put these things together. I mean, it's a very, very 
kind of uh, explosive time right now, uh, not to mention the fact that these so-called democracy protests are going on in Tel Aviv right now. I, I kind of see this as a powder keg situation right now, and I think Diana kind of um, sees that coming too. Well, listen, uh, I, I see it more not a powder, powder keg. I see it more of a charade, really, to prolong the PA's rule uh, over Palestinians and to prolong, or not to prolong, actually, to assist Israel in uh, maintaining its rule over the West Bank and expanding its rule over the West Bank Expanded. and annexing parts of the West Bank. Look, the joke here, here, uh, you know, when they had this uh, resolution uh, planned, the, uh, the negotiation, negotiations that were done by uh, our Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, uh, basically saying that uh, now uh, the Israelis will um, freeze uh, settlement activities <laughs> for 90 days, which is a joke, because anyway, they usually approve settlement, new settlement building Years every, in advance. every 90 days or so. So, right. so they can freeze that. And no sooner than they, uh, that they've done that, actually exactly uh, a couple of days afterwards, the finance minister, Bezalel Smotrich, which Diana actually talks about in depth in her interview and describe, describes him as probably as the most dangerous man now in the right-wing Israeli government, uh, he he said, and I'm quoting here. There is one thing I do know: there will be there there will not be any freezing of building and developments in settlements for even one day, and it's under my authority. I mean, remember yeah. he's in charge of the budget. He's in charge of the finance, and then that's where they use the money to to build these settlements. So so here is an important uh, member of the. Netanyahu coalition and the Netanyahu cabinet basically saying, forget about that agreement, whatever Netanyahu promised you. It's nonsense. Right. And that's that's kind of the point that you and I have been talking about for many years, if not decades now, is that the capitulation of the U.S. government to any and all uh, Israeli demands. I mean, this was so insulting to hear the State Department come out and say, Oh, we 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 find this unhelpful now that the apartheid state wants to build more settlements at a time when we're going to the United Nations. Can can we have an agreement not to not to do any of this? So the the unhelpfulness was a joke. Uh, the apartheid state is always unhelpful. The State Department and Blinken put out a statement, Jamal, saying anything that doesn't contribute to the two-state solution or support the two-state solution is unhelpful. I mean, it's if it, if it would be laughable if it's not so painful to see what's happening in, in Jerusalem, in the West Bank, in Gaza right now, in 1948, the, the kind of attacks on Palestinians. And by the way, Jamal, we should also say that one of the things that the apartheid state wants to do is that they're going to pass a law. Maybe they passed they it already. already. Yeah, passing a law basically stripping citizenships of Palestinians who who have citizenship under the apartheid state, the so-called 1948 Palestinians. So the so-called, uh, you know, 
uh, beacon of democracy uh, in the Middle East is now stripping its citizens of its citizenship. So um, it's beyond the pale at this point. And, you know, this is coming on the heels of this uh, really disturbing uh, commemoration of the murder of 29 Palestinians uh, by the terrorist Baruch Goldstein, who is still celebrated. And we could draw, Jamal, can't we? A direct line from Baruch Goldstein 29 years ago to where we are today with the right-wing extremists uh, uh, kind of cabinet that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has installed and what they're doing right now. In some ways, Baruch Goldstein is still alive and breathing and his his uh, uh, ideas are thriving right now in the apartheid state. Absolutely, Jess. And, uh, you know, again, this is uh, the 29th uh, year since uh, Baruch Goldstein murdered uh, 29 Palestinians and uh, injured 125 uh, on February uh, 25th, uh, 29 years ago. But you're absolutely right. Who was Baruch Goldstein to begin with? You know, a colonial settler from Brooklyn, New York, a follower of Meir Kahana. And that's why we're bringing the circle back when you talk about uh, uh, Ben Gvir. He is a follower. He's, he's, uh, that's he's, right. He's, uh, he's uh, you know, he's not a closet follower. He's an outright follower of Meir Kahana. And Baruch, and, and Baruch Goldstein. In fact, in the holiday Purim, he uh, wore, uh, he disguised himself as Baruch Goldstein. And of course, he uh, praises uh, Meir Kahana and he espouses to uh, implement what Meir Kahana wanted to do, which is basically ethnically cleanse the land from Palestinians and to have a, an old Jewish state. And uh, if you happen, uh, to to stay in Palestine, and if you're not Jewish, you better keep your mouth silent. Otherwise, they're going to strip you from all your rights in if of if any in in that state. So that's that's basically this is the government that you have now in place. And the crazy thing about it, Jess, we've had at least a couple of delegations from the United States, congressional delegations from the United States, including the House Minority leader right uh, going there and meeting with benjamin netanyahu and and members of his cabinet i mean he is meeting this is the representation think about it even and this is something very important that uh, diana Bhutto spoke about uh ben Kivir, he was convicted in israel i mean which they usually don't reach that point that's convicting, right convicting someone for his extremist and racist and <laughs> right. inciting incitement but they did convict him and and in any interpretation you know by the u.s state department and by most countries in the world he's a terrorist that's that's and and usually the united states does not meet does not talk does not do business with, with, terrorists. with terrorists and yep. organizations unless, or governments that support them. He's now a member, he's it, a minister. Unless they happen to be Israeli. Except, he exactly. Not only this, so you send even a delegation to go to Israel at a time when you have the most extremist racist government in Israel, a government that has been murdered. More than 54 Palestinians have been killed and the number is going up. 
since the beginning of the year when you have the entire uh, world labeling Israel as, as, as an apartheid state and we're still doing business uh, with, with, with the Israelis. And then when the Palestinians complain and say, hey, let's go to the United Nations and, and, and ask them to stop building more settlements. And I said that uh, Secretary Biden puts the pressure on the sponsor of that resolution, the UAE, the UAE, and of course the Palestinian Authority, they both succumb and water down this no. resolution. Capitulate, capitulate, yes. please. And then the United States hosts now a conference about security. Whose security but, are they talking about? Well, you know, as we've talked about, Jermon, and again, I just want to contextualize it a little bit more. Let's Let's look at what happened in the last week. The, the apartheid regime sent jets to bomb Damascus, and they bombed Syria. The, uh, one of the ministers said uh, on, on international and national TV that no option is off the table when it comes to Iran and their nuclear capabilities. I mean, they're threatening Iran on a regular daily basis. And at the same time, with as you said, the numbers of Palestinians, 54, that have been murdered, the hundreds that have been injured, uh, it's probably closer to thousands by now, the number of homes that are being demolished. And the United States continues to support an apartheid terrorist regime right now that is wreaking havoc, not just in Palestine, but in the region in general. And we're, we're going to use this to kind of talk about one of our favorite topics, which is the hypocrisy of how the United States will support anti-occupation kind of language and support for the Ukrainians, which they have every right to resist their occupation. But when it comes to Palestine, and uh, not not just silence, Jamal, but we're finding that the that the United States is actually obviously supporting in this deep and kind of uh, Hippocratic way uh, the the occupation of Palestine, and so we have this ironic kind of voting of an apartheid state supporting, you know, Ukraine and supporting the the concept of uh, Russia getting out of occupied Ukraine. It's just it's just mind boggling that this is all happening at the same time. Well, I mean, and the joke of the day, <laughs> yes, is that Israel joined in that UN resolution exactly. to withdraw from occupied territories in Ukraine. And uh, it's a, of course, it's a non-binding General Assembly resolution, which passed 141 to 7 with 32 abstentions. But, uh, you know, Israel issued a statement that they basically are alongside the people of Ukraine in solidarity, both on the ground and here in the UN, to demand that uh, Russian troops withdraw from occupied territories in in Ukraine. And, 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 and here's the connection where a few hours earlier, as we've talked about, the United States made sure that Palestinians and the uh, their co-sponsor, the uh, UAE, withdraw that resolution because they didn't want to be embarrassed because here was a resolution that was going to force Exactly. Most likely, the United States to exercise its veto power and veto it, you know, in in basically vetoing a, a fair and just resolution 
uh, from an uh, occupied uh, people saying we want them to stop transferring population into our territory and uh, annexing it and so forth. And and then two days later, or less than two exactly. days, they put forward a resolution condemning Russia for its invasion and for its occupation. And that's the blatant hypocrisy. And sadly, and this is something that Diana spoke about, and uh, the sad thing is uh, the Palestinian authorities part and parcel in this capitulation and this collaboration in making this happen. Well, absolutely, Jamal. And I think you and I have been, you know, vocal critics of the Palestinian Authority for many years now. But this is this is the height of a capitulation because, you know, in, in terms of capitulating not only to the United States, which is no friend of justice when it comes to justice in Palestine, and capitulating to the oppressor, to the occupying power, to the apartheid state, it it dis disempowers any kind of integrity, any kind of uh, motivation, any kind of feeling that the world may have to support uh, Palestinian, uh, you know, quests for self-determination, for justice, and for freedom. It's just like people will say, we support Palestine, we support Palestinians, but why is the leadership continuing to cozy up with the occupier and cozy up with world powers that are undermining it. So, you know, uh, it's 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 a tough, it, it's beyond embarrassing. I mean, this it's is not just true. embarrassing, it's really it's, sad. It's in, in No, it's a collaboration at, at, at the worst in, form, in, Jamal. In one way, and I was looking to see their explanation for those who supported their position and the position of the UAE, which was ludicrous. They were saying, well, anyway, we didn't want to go there because it was almost assured that the United States was going to veto it. And rather, matter. And rather than Doesn't shut matter. the door completely, we wanted to keep the door open and come up with softer language, whatever they call yeah, it, the presidential such, yes. statement. It's, 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 it's like it's, this. And look what happened. And that's actually our last point that we were going to make on this show. As right. soon as they done that and they said, okay, well, we got that. And, and now they had the soft language and, and, and Netanyahu promised to freeze uh, uh, approving settlements for 90 days. Israel, less than basically in, in just actually two days, and despite all of this, and despite international condemnation, has approved more plans for housing units in the West Bank than the total approved in previous years and is legalizing numerous outposts. And they approved immediately over 7,000 housing units in the West Bank uh, settlements but and legalizing outposts. I mean, two days did, did, after that. Right. And my question to you, Jamal, did you hear anything from the State Department? I mean, the only thing that they said was, this is unhelpful. Unhelpful. This is un it's unhelpful. <laughs> well, it's unhelpful. Maybe they shouldn't interfere. It's unhelpful that, that they keep interfering and covering up Israeli war crimes and prolonging the occupation but, but the and just basically holding conferences and 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 having empty uh, promises empty promises yeah and i think there's a larger issue here which we need to connect Jamal, is because the the fact that the united states has no credibility when it comes to justice and um 
uh, human rights and international law on the question of Palestine. They have absolutely no credibility. They've lost all credibility. I think it speaks to the difficulty that they're having right now in the EU, in the United Nations, and globally with condemnation of uh, Russia right now. I mean, I found it kind of interesting that uh, there isn't unanimity when it comes to the condemnation of Russia. Obviously, China is, you know, supporting of Vladimir Putin in a very strong way. You know, India has not come out in a strong way condemning Putin. And a lot of African countries right now have been very strong in terms of their uh, not only support of uh, Russia and uh, Vladimir uh, Putin, but they haven't been on the side of joining the United States and condemning the occupation of Ukraine. So the, the United States is actually lo losing and has lost a lot of credibility, I think in part, because of the lack of credibility it has when it comes to Palestine. Well, to me, credibility is one thing and action is another thing. And I think that this is very important. And, and, and I think basically Russia has taken a chapter from the Israeli behavior and it's, it's, it's surrogates. And they say, why should we do anything? Why should we, why should we stop because people are condemning us? Because the entire world can condemn Israel and call it an apartheid state. And then Israel doesn't care about what people think about it, except for those who give it money like the United States. And, and as long That's as exactly the United States right. keeps giving it money. And so the Russians are saying, we can occupy, we can annex. This is the new world order because obviously Israel is doing it in by de facto. I mean, Israel, they look at it as a, as a U.S. satellite. They can get away with murder. We too can get away with murder. And I think that's exactly right, Jermall. And that's why I think it's important that our listeners and viewers understand this larger context because if you're very concerned about what's happening in Ukraine and the devastation that Ukrainians are experiencing right now, part of that responsibility of what's happening right now has to do with the lack of credibility. And I, I'm using that word in a very broad way, the lack of action and credibility that the United States has has demonstrated for decades now when it comes to Palestine. And I think, you know, this, this is, we're headed and, and I'm, I'm talking both about Palestine and Ukraine right now, we're headed, I think, for a very, 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 very problematic, difficult, and painful time, even more painful for Ukrainians, even more painful for Palestinians, because there's no kind of commitment on the ground to really resolving these issues. And Ukrainians are dying, Palestinians are dying, and the United States is standing by and basically letting this happen. I mean, we're still in this position of how many Ukrainians have died, been dispossessed, have lost their homes, and have been destroyed because the United States continues to kind of throw the Ukrainians under the bus. Uh, it's, it's tragedy for Ukraine, it's tragedy for Palestine, and these two things, Jamal, are linked. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest shows and we'll speak to you next week. We'll see you next week. Thank you.